I'm Karen Hartglass, and you're listening to the 114th episode of Ask a Vegan. It's the 4th of November, 2012. What did I want to talk about today? Well, you know, we just went through this Hurricane Sandy thing here in New York City. So I thought it would be good to talk a little bit about emergency preparedness and It's not really after the fact because certainly we just went through an event and I want to think that we we will all learn from what went on during Hurricane Sandy and that we will only get better dealing with natural disasters, maybe not so natural disasters. I think it's clear now that we do have more weather events to look forward to that will cause a certain amount of damage, unfortunately. More people are talking about how global warming really does exist, and they're acknowledging the connection between the more dramatic weather Related events that we're seeing, hurricanes, tornadoes, flooding, droughts, temperature differentials, all kinds of things. Certainly New York City has not seen a hurricane of this magnitude, can I say ever? I don't know, but I haven't ever seen one like this. And fortunately, government officials are talking about rebuilding and building better. And I think to some extent, we can build where we will see less damage. But of course, if the weather just continues to get more dramatic at some point, it may be impossible to protect any life. But we would like to avoid that, right? And there's a lot that we can do to take care of the earth. And that's one of the things that I talk about on this program, especially about how food and lifestyle can affect the footprint that each of us leave on the planet. It could be a very light and gentle, protective, nurturing footprint, or it can be a very resource-intense, destructive devastating, polluting footprint. And what is it that you want to do? And I'm sure most of us do want to do good, be compassionate, be be life-sustaining. But there's so much in our lives today that offer great conveniences and we don't connect the dots and realize what the impact is on the planet. And certainly food is one of those things. And that's why eating an organic, plant-based diet, preferably with food that you can get as close to home as possible, is the best thing that you can do, not only for your health, but for the planet. And I believe is the one single thing we can do today to mitigate, to slow down global warming. 
Certainly we need to improve our factories. We need to make transportation for people a lot cleaner. But that's going to take time. Some of that technology exists now. Some of it we need to invent. But in order to invest in the research, invest in the manufacturing, and invest in the distribution, all of that takes time and money. And in order to get that time, in order to make all of that happen, we need to slow down global warming today, and in my mind, the only way to do it is to start by eliminating factory farming, eliminating the demand for food that is so energy-intensive and polluting. We all need to do that with a plant-based diet. Right. Now, let's get back to emergency preparedness. There's a great website that lists all the things that you need to think about, and it's called ready.gov. But I wanted to get into some details now that the hurricane here in New York is out of the way. We have some time to plan for the next event, and uh, hopefully it will not be as devastating as this past event but we can plan, and we should plan. And I like to make my emergency kit or my emergency preparedness part of my life. So let's start with canned food. It's always a recommendation to keep at least a three-day supply of food and water on hand. And we always have very specific canned foods in our home that we move through and restock. So it's not something that's getting old. It's something that we use, but we continually replenish. And that's beans and tomatoes. Very important point here. The beans and the tomatoes we purchase here are salt-free. One of the things they mention at ready.gov is when you're eating in a disaster, if, when you're eating the foods that you've left for emergencies, you don't want them to contain salt or a lot of salt. You don't want to eat foods that make you thirsty. You want to certainly drink water and you should have a certain amount of water on hand for emergencies, but you don't want to use up your supply quickly or at least be uncomfortable in short supplies. And salt will make you thirsty. So the idea is to keep foods on hand that don't contain salt or a lot of salt that are going to make you thirsty. Now, in my home, I don't like to eat a lot of salt, period. So it's easy. All the beans that I buy are organic and salt-free. The cans of tomatoes that I use are organic and salt-free. It just fits into the natural lifestyle here and works as great foods for emergency preparedness. All right, so we're talking about cans, and I brought this up before, but something to keep in mind 
certainly something not to stress about when you just want to have food to eat during a disaster, but most canned food is lined with an industrial chemical called BPA or bisphenol A. It was used to make plastics and resin since 1980s and it's used often in containers that store food and beverages like water bottles, baby bottles, and cups. It's found in toys, consumer goods, all kinds of things. But unfortunately, there's been research that has shown that BPA can seep into food or beverages from containers that have it. And they can get into the body and uh, wreak a little bit of havoc. So the National Toxicology Program at the Department of Health and Human Services says that it has some concern about the possible health effects of BPA on the brain, behavior, prostate gland of fetuses, infants, and children. And it can range from serious to negligible. So there are a lot of companies that are moving to become BPA-free in their canned food. My favorite is Eden. Eden Organic has been BPA-free since 1989. No, I'm sorry, since 1999. That's incredible. And Eden offers no salt added BPA-free organic beans, a wide variety. And if you're clever, you can find stores or even buy them in bulk online at very, very reasonable prices. So what we do is order a dozen of one bean and a dozen of another bean a dozen cans, and uh, I typically have maybe 24, 36 cans of beans at any one time. I do like to use dried beans a lot, but I also use cans for two reasons. One is, you know, everybody enjoys convenience, and sometimes I don't think ahead, and it's just handy to have canned beans around, and I'm comfortable using canned Beans, because the Eden canned beans are organic, salt-free, and they don't have BPA in the liner. But the other reason is, this is a great food for emergencies. Beans have everything you need in them. They're very satisfying. You can eat them right out of the can. You don't have to cook them. They're a really great emergency food. There are some other companies that offer canned foods without BPA liners. It's just a little more challenging to figure out who they are because some of them don't label. And uh, it's a mix. So Trader Joe's does offer some products that do not have the BPA liner, but it's not labeled and it's not all of their products. Apparently they're canned corn, green beans, coconut milk, all beans, tuna, poultry, and canned tomatoes. 
or BPA-free, um, the best thing to do would be to call them and find out specifically because I believe they're changing all the time. Uh, here at Responsible Eating and Living, we don't promote eating animal foods, but there are a number of companies that do package tuna and salmon that do not use the BPA liners. Edwards and Sons is a great company for a lot of organic foods. Not all of their canned foods are BPA-free with the BPA-free liner, but they have a brand called Native Forest, and all of their Native Forest products that come in cans are BPA-free. We use their coconut milk a lot. Uh, Bio Nature is BPA-free with their canned tomatoes, natural value, all organic tomatoes, and their cat food products are BPA-free. So here it is. You're thinking about what to do and planning for an emergency. Canned beans, BPA-free and salt-free is the way to go. Now, what else? There are some whole grains out there that don't necessarily need to be cooked. I like to keep a number of different whole grains on stock all the time. Now, we don't eat a lot of grains, but we do eat them every day, small amounts. They're very satisfying, comforting, and nutritious. Quinoa is a great one because... You can soak quinoa, and it will soften to the point where you can eat it. It does not have to be cooked. And that's good to know. Also, if you can get your grains in the flaked form, like oatmeal is the most popular here in the United States, but you can get rye, barley, wheat, and I'm sure there's some other flaked grains out there. When they're sliced thinly, thinly like that, like rolled oats, they don't have to be cooked. They just can be soaked in water or juice or whatever non-dairy milk you might want to use. So those are really good to have around. And of course, water. It's so important to have water. Now, I guess for an emergency, keeping water in plastic bottles is okay for an emergency, but I don't really encourage, number one, drinking water that is not from the tap and drinking water that's been put in a bottle through a manufacturing process. Water in plastic bottles takes up so much water, just to, so much more water than what's in the bottle. It's not an environmentally friendly process. It's an expensive process. And the plastic can leach toxins into the water. So drinking water from plastic bottles is not really a healthy thing to do. It's not an environmentally friendly thing to do.
I mentioned using tap water. There's a caveat there because even though the source of your water may be clean, when it goes through all the pipes and gets to your faucet, there's, it picks up a lot of things on the way. So if there are any uh, bacteria or toxins, you'll get them. And most places add chlorine and fluoride to the water, and the chlorine will kill most of the bacteria. But then do you want chlorine in your water? We distill and filter our water here at home. Certainly, um, we can't distill our water if we don't have electricity, although there are out there, if you really want to invest, they're a little expensive, there are some gravity filtration systems or systems that you can use gas to heat your water and then put this, um, I want to say a contraption, but there are companies that sell things where you can distill your water from a gas stovetop. And in an emergency, that would be handy to have. What I like to do is um, fill up a few glass jugs with filtered water for emergencies. So I have a point-of-use filter on my tap, and I'll fill those up. And I've saved a few gallon glass cider jugs. And uh, they're really handy to store a lot of water. And, you know, if you don't have a lot of space, there's you can just put them up against the wall somewhere in emergencies just to have them or put them at the bottom of the closet, uh, out of the way in a place where they won't break. But I really like to save water in glass containers. And another thing that we like to have is light. And the recommended source for light, of course, is batteries in flashlights. And there's a number of recommendations that are made where you don't want to turn on the battery in a place, turn on a flashlight in a place where you might think there's a gas leak. Um, and flashlights are also convenient because there's less chance of a fire hazard with respect to candles. There's a lot of places that don't recommend using candles because there's more chance of starting a fire. We do like candles here and we use them a lot. And I just wanted to mention, just talk about candles a little bit now that we're on the subject of candles because there's a lot of interesting things that are in candles that you may not know about. So candles were used way, way, way back. Ancient Egyptians and early Romans used candles that were made from tallow, which comes from animal fat. And in China, as early as the Tang Dynasty, they used beeswax. But beeswax at the time was very expensive. And in Japan, they used candle wax from tree nut extracts. Isn't that nice? And in India, they boiled the fruit of the cinnamon tree for candle wax. So people have been making 
candles for a long, long time. And tallow, which is from animal products, was used really very frequently. And then in the 18th century, oil from the sperm whale was used and was a very popular clean-burning, low-odor wax from the very unfortunate sperm whale. It's from their head, the head oil. <coughs> uh, stearin wax, which is from steric acid, from animal fat acids, was widely used and is still used. And then, of course, we came along with paraffin wax because chemists found a way to remove the naturally occurring waxy substance from petroleum. And that's a very standard candle wax today in the Western Hemisphere. And most recently, in the early, no, the late 1990s, vegetable-based candle waxes came on the scene. Hooray! Soy wax and palm wax. They were developed for commercial use in the candle market during the late 1990s by hydrogenating soybean oil and palm oils, respectively. Paraffin, which is the petroleum-based wax, is the most frequently used candle wax today. Beeswax is very popular. And stearin wax is largely limited to Europe. Now, I like to use the soy-based version because it doesn't contain animal products. So when you're looking for candles, either for celebrations, creating a nice atmosphere, or even for emergency preparedness, even though I want to underline that it's important to use flashlights for light for getting around because you don't want to create a fire hazard. Um, soy is the way to go. I guess uh, some people out there would be concerned about using palm wax for candles because palm oil for so, is used for so many things and is very environmentally destructive. So unless you can find a source that is using palm oil from a sustainable palm tree farm, Soybean, organic soybean wax would be ideal. It can be expensive, and uh, sometimes I just like looking to see when they show up on sale in one place or another. But that's my favorite choice. Now, fortunately, there was some concern about lead, and lead wicks were banned from the United States marketplace in 2003. And uh, so we don't really have to concern ourselves about lead wicks in, in our candles. A couple of tips while we're talking about emergency preparedness. A few things that I figured out. Most of us today, if we have landlines for telephones, most of them are plugged in to the electrical outlet because they have all kinds of 
bells and whistles on them that run on electricity. Do you remember the old-fashioned phones that were either rotary-dialed or push-button but didn't require being plugged into the wall? They didn't have voicemail. They didn't have caller ID. They didn't have the little screens on them that tell us a variety of things. They didn't have any memory. Well, I recommend having one of those very simple telephones, if you have a landline, to plug in when there is no electricity because you may have access to your telephone line but not have electricity. And if your phone doesn't work unless it can be plugged into an electrical outlet, you won't be able to use that phone. Just something to think about. I have a very, very inexpensive phone that I got at a drugstore that does not require electricity. I keep it in a cabinet and wait for the power to go out and then I plug it in the wall and exchange it for one of my other landlines that uses electricity. Another thing to think about now before the emergency comes along is to have transistor radios. Now, many more of us are using our smartphones, our computers to listen to radio, to listen to news, and when you don't have electricity or you're not able to charge these devices, sometimes a good old-fashioned, very simple transistor radio that runs on a regular little battery that you can replace is a very convenient thing to have. I've got a few of them here, and uh, every time I do some purging, trying to make more space in the apartment and um, not keep things that I don't use, I look at them and go, no, no, that's part of my emergency kit. They're not going. All right. And then uh, one of my favorite recommendations that I heard a few times during this hurricane season is uh, make sure you have a manual can opener. You know, I talked about having cans on hand, but if you only have an electric can opener and you lose power, you've got a problem. We don't use an electric can opener here. We have a very nice manual can opener and it does a very, very excellent job. I have one more little tip and this isn't necessarily for emergencies, but what made me think about it is that some people use battery operated toothbrushes or electric toothbrushes that need to be plugged in or charged by plugging them in. I just use a regular little toothbrush. Something I heard a long time ago but didn't really put it into practice until recently was brushing for three minutes. Most of us just do a really quick brush that's just a few seconds, 30 seconds, 40 seconds. Try it. Use a little three-minute timer or Put your oven timer on for three minutes or just count slowly to 180 for 180 seconds and brush your teeth. It is 
amazing what will happen. The difference is so tremendous. You will feel like you had your teeth professionally cleaned. It is really important to to brush that long because whether you use a manual toothbrush or a battery-powered one, statistically it has been shown that greater plaque removal following three minutes of brushing than following one minute of brushing. I use just a dab of toothpaste. I went through a period where I wasn't using any toothpaste at all. And sometimes I've used baking soda and hydrogen peroxide. This is where I'm at right now, but I find just a tiny little bit, like a pea size. And brushing for three minutes twice a day, and you don't want to brush hard, just gentle strokes, covering every area you can over three minutes really is powerful. And frankly, I don't like going to the dentist and getting my teeth cleaned. And if my teeth can stay clean and as clean as possible, then it'll be less of a problem when I go in to have my teeth professionally cleaned because there really won't be very much plaque to be removed. Now, when we talk about being prepared, I think some people forget. You may think about getting your home prepared. But where do you spend time? Are you in the home most of the day? Do you work in an office? Do you drive in a car? If you're using an office, if you're using a car, those places need to be prepared as well because in times of an emergency, you don't know where you're going to be stuck. I remember I lived in California in the 80s and early 90s and I was in the San Francisco Bay Area during the 1989 earthquake and that was really an incredible time. I can't say that I was prepared because I wasn't but fortunately nothing really serious happened to me. I was working. I was in a semiconductor manufacturing facility in Santa Clara And the earthquake came. It was scary. It was big. I was dressed in a clean room suit. And I was thinking of all of the little baths that we had there that were filled with hydrochloric acid, sulfuric acid, all kinds of specialty chemicals that were not well contained in case the earth really moved and things started to break or splatter. I knew I had to get out. And plus there were lots of lots of gases. So if there was a break in a pipe or something, it was time to get out. I left the building and I I had my clean room suit on and and everyone else left the building as well. It was kind of a funny sight seeing everybody in these white cover-ups. If you've seen them, it, it covers you from top to body, top to bottom from booties to gloves to a hood that covers your head. And it was a scary time because I thought if I need to leave the area or escape, I wouldn't be able to because all of the roads were highly trafficked. There were cars everywhere, people trying to get from one place to another. Uh, Fortunately, 
nothing really happened to me during that earthquake, but it made me think about what to do in the future and be prepared with things in your car, in your office, as well as at home. Now, one of the things that happens when you lose electricity is unless you have a generator, you can't use the television, you can't use the computer. What do you do with your time? This is really a great opportunity to talk to your family, bring out some board games if you can do it by candlelight, read books, talk to your neighbors, and just be. I think many people don't know how to amuse themselves without electricity. So this is a great opportunity to figure out how to do that. There are some really wonderful book lights and headlamps that operate by battery and can be used during this time for reading. One more tip, and that is solar lamps. Now, I have some property out in Costa Rica, and when I was first spending time there, I would do a lot of camping. I bought a few solar lamps. You can get these in garden stores. They stick in the ground, and they're pretty much used just to light a walkway in the dark. But you set them out, and they absorb energy. They, they charge the batteries with little tiny solar panels during the day, and then at night, if you turn them on, they will light up. So I'm thinking you can get a few of these, keep them outside, and get them charged, and then bring them inside during the time when you don't have electricity, and that will give you a little light during the dark hours. Now, certainly you can't keep these things out in a storm, but perhaps after the storm and the damage is done and you can get outside safely and there is some sun, you can charge these things up and have some light to bring in during the evening. They're really inexpensive, and so that's why I thought they would be a useful thing to have, to have a few of those around. <laughs> okay, enough of the... Discussion on Disaster Emergency Preparedness. A while ago on this program, I talked about coconut oil and how I love to use it on my skin, as a makeup remover, and on my hair. I am so in love with coconut oil. I think it is the best product out there for personal care. Rather than buying all of these different kinds of expensive hair care, skin care products that have all kinds of things in it that you never heard of, frankly, I think organic coconut oil works the best. I keep a little of it in the bathroom in a dark jar. In the colder days, it, it's solid at room temperature, and so you need to run a little hot water on it sometimes. Uh, what I like to do is keep it in the shower or the bath when I'm taking a bath or a shower. 
keeping it in warm water so that when I'm done, I can use it. It's all liquid. And I put it on my skin and I put it on my hair and it's just great. So recently, I saw an advertisement for L'Oreal. They were looking for models or people to test some new hair products on. I'm not a fan of L'Oreal. They do a lot of animal testing and they use a lot of animal products in most of their hair and cosmetic lines. But at some point they purchased Purology, which is a vegan line of hair products. And they were going to be testing Purology. So I thought, okay, that might be fun. I don't usually use Purology because I, they're really expensive. Uh, but I'd heard good things about them, so I thought, why not go in for a free styling with Purology? And as I'm sitting in the chair, and this woman is working on my hair, she started up a conversation with me, and she asked me, what do I typically use on my hair? And I said, well, you know, you may think this is a little bizarre, but I like plant-based products, products that don't have animals in them, and one of my favorite things is coconut oil. Okay, so here's the funny part. She said that she used coconut oil too, and she really loved it. And then the woman next to me, who was also one of the testing models, she piped in and she said she used it too, especially for her daughter's hair. So here we are in a L'Oreal facility, three of us are raving about simple, natural coconut oil. So I wanted to remind you that if you're looking for a great product for your skin, for your hair, just think about coconut oil. It really is wonderful. It smells great. And like I always say, I really don't want to put things on my body, on my skin, that I wouldn't eat because the skin is our largest organ and it takes in everything you put on it. That's coconut oil. Here we go, real recipes for the week, real recipes for this week. I bought organic dried apricots recently. I buy a lot of items online things that aren't fresh, like my produce, if I can, if the shipping is affordable, I get it online. So I bought a five pound bag of organic apricots. They're a little pricey, but I got a reasonable deal and was so thrilled. They're really, really delicious. And then I thought, okay, it's time to make apricot butter. Now I've got a recipe for prune butter on the ResponsibleEatingAndLiving.com website. I've raved about making prune butter, which what's in my prune butter? Prunes. Prunes and water. That's it. No sugar, nothing else. And the results are fabulous. It's so easy to make. I thought, why not do it with apricots? And wow, I made the best apricot butter, apricot butter I have ever, ever had. It certainly cost effective, it's much less expensive than any apricot jelly or jam that you'll get in the store. I find it's much better. It's got no sugar, 
no other fruits. It's just apricots and water. So I put the dried fruit on the bottom of the saucepan. I cover, just barely cover them with water. I cook them at a medium heat, stirring occasionally. I covered, let them soften up. And then with a hand blender, I puree them. And then I add a little bit more water and voila, I have apricot butter. Now you can put them in the jar and refrigerate them. Or if you're really good at canning, you can can them and not refrigerate them until they're opened. But so simple and so satisfying. And I made some homemade vegan gluten-free bread this weekend. And we had toast with a little earth balance and apricot butter. And I will tell you, it tasted like this delicious buttery caramel. So good. I mean, why do we have to consume junk in our food? Why can't we keep it real? Now, most jelly manufacturers will use sugar, high fructose corn syrup, or some other fruits, apple juice, grape juice, to sweeten any kind of fruit, jam, jelly, butter that you're going to purchase. Now, sugar and high fructose corn syrup are cheap, and they can lower the cost of making these jams by adding sugar. I don't want sugar. I don't want high fructose corn syrup. I just want the fruit, and I want it organic. I want it good for me. And it's so, so simple to make. Why not? Dried fruit, water, saucepan, and a, and a hand mixer. That's all it takes. You could use a blender if you don't have a hand mixer. It's that simple and so worthwhile. That's the real recipe for today. We continue to sprout here at Responsible Eating and Living. I've got lots of sunflower seed sprouts going, and in the wintertime I like to sprout more than in the summertime because I feel like I'm, I've got a little fresh produce going in the cold weather. And we've got yogurt being made on the weekends. I like to do my yogurt making, my soup making, my bread making, and it's really worthwhile to have simple, delicious, nutritious, healthy foods where you know what's in them. Okay, we've got an election coming up in two days, and um, I hope you vote, and vote early, and vote often. <laughs> uh, the big thing that's going on right now, of course, is the Proposition 37 in California, and gosh, I really, really hope that turns out well. I'm personally voting for labeling, not just of genetically modified food, but I think more information is better than less information. Why not know what's in what we're getting? And then we can make a choice whether it's something that we want or we don't want, but I'm for full disclosure. 
There we go. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Please remember that you can comment anytime, ask a question, offer up some information to share. This is our community. Be a part of it. And I love hearing from you. The email is info at realmeals.org. Info at realmeals.org. Also, we're still in our fundraiser drive. We're going to keep going until we raise what we need to get our work done. You can visit responsibleeatingandliving.com. Click on the donate button. You can read our real appeal letter. And any contribution is welcome and so, so appreciated. Thank you so much for joining me. It's World Vegan Month, folks. Just keep that in mind. November 1st was World Vegan Day, and uh, that just gives the whole vegan thing a little more concentration, a little more focus. And I just wanted to mention that before I go. Have a very enjoyable World Vegan Month. I'm Karen Hartglass. Thanks for joining me. And have a delicious week. R-E-A-L Responsible Eating Responsible Eating Responsible Eating and Living R-E-A-L Reels Good for the planet The inhabitants who Need some advice On the right thing to do When it comes to good health We need facts True to choose what to eat and save the planet too. As responsible eating and living.